worship band. Jebbit just reminded me to try and figure out the cracks, because there's cracks while you're, I'm walking around the creeks or what's the right word. So I'll try not to walk around too much, but if I do, um, do forgive me. Um, so I'm very excited to share with you this morning. My name is Jacques, one of the elders here. And yeah, the, what I'm going to share about this morning and next week is about marriage. And maybe I think what I'll do is I'll pray for us and then we're going to read through the scriptures and then I'm going um, to jump in. So just open for us in prayer. Father, we come and thank you just for your truth. We come and thank you just for your word and your ways, Father. We just come and open our hearts this morning, Spirit, that you would come and speak to us, Father. Thank you just for courage and in strength, Father. And yeah, we thank you that you are with us always, Father. We thank you just for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a word that I was reminded about this morning in intercession was Romans 12 verse 2. Um, that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. And another one is Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when we look at marriage, many times we've all had different experiences, um, different expectations, different, uh, that cause different beliefs in us that's not always conformed to the word of God and to his ways that might cause us to think differently of marriage and just might even invoke fear in us in a sense. But I also want to tell you this morning that marriage is, it's like this verse says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and authorities. And I want to encourage you this morning as we go through the scriptures, I almost want to say, listen prophetically. Don't just think, okay, this is how I feel. This is what I'm experiencing. Um, but listen from a place of the truth of marriage being the platform that Jesus is coming back to his bride. Listen from a place of that being the chosen vehicle that God used to bring up families. Um, so with that, maybe let's jump into the scriptures. And today, like this name is, it, there's two parts, designed for marriage, designed for companions, companionship, which we're going to look at the book of Genesis and what it says about that. Next week, we're going to look at Ephesians, and which specifically relates to how marriage is a picture of God's love for the church. He's coming back for his bride through Jesus Christ and how that relates to it. So with that, let's jump in into Genesis 1. We're going to go through a few specific verses as we go. Um, so Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, 
let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Next one. Um, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh. And with a rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, and because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. So just as those are the scriptures that we're going to work through this morning. But first, I guess, just thinking about how our congregation is put together, I guess I have to just line the expectation a bit. Um, I mean, I'm not really going to talk. If you're, if some questions might be, you just want to know who's your future spouse. Um, all that I can say is he or she is in the future, right? I'm not really going to speak to that. You might be asking, who is the one the one is the one who you are going to marry at the end of the day, right? That's going to be the one. Um, it's about becoming the right person and not seeking the right person. So I'm just throwing a few loose points out. If you want to read a good book, read Meaning of Marriage. I know, um, they, I mean, Find the Year and Your Husband also sounds great, so keep reading that. It, it's, it's also really great. Um, I feel much more heroic since that series has started. Um, but when we look at marriage, it's not just for, for us. We see these prevailing worldviews around us. One of them that is consumerism, which is basically I consume. I just get everything is about me getting something. And many times we approach marriage in that sense, in a way of what can I get from it, from a self-actualization point of view of I want to get married so that I can become a better person and um, the, my spouse should help me become a better person. Um, and then if we just look at, I mean, um, we read that verse that our war is not against flesh and blood, but we see how the world is coming against the image of God basically, Imago Day, trying to destroy the image of God through whether it is just how marriage is portrayed in the media, in movies, in Hollywood, um, the whole 
gender um, thing, male and female, trying to, to remove that and just that whole narrative that you need individual freedom to be happy. And those are some of the worldviews that we are faced with. I mean, whether you're thinking about it or not, um, I, f I find that, I mean, generally it's almost, you, you, would, you wouldn't use the word spouse, right? You would say, what, partner or something like that, just because it's almost offensive these days just to speak about marriage openly and the concept of it. Um, so just when we look at scripture, whether you are married, whether you're not married, doesn't really matter. This is a, from a scriptural point of view, this is a big part of what God says in his word and we see it in the whole biblical narrative. The Bible opens up with a um, wedding ceremony in Genesis and it closes with one in the book of Revelations with a wedding um, the, the, where Jesus comes back for his bride. And we also know that marriage is given by God. It's instituted by God. So what God institutes, he also regulates. And it's almost like one thing to, way to think about it is, I mean, these days when you buy something, um, the instructions are much easier to follow, I think. These days you can get a quick YouTube video. But we bought this one Chinese gift somewhere for Joshua, which was quite complex to, to figure out. There weren't any instructions, but if there were, I would have read them properly. But many times for us, reading instructions might make us feel incompetent. I mean, we just want something to be plug and play these days, and thankfully most of it all is, but many times you, you have to spend some time putting things together and re actually read the instructions. And it's the same with marriage. Just because we think we know how it works doesn't mean we're just gonna naturally flow into it. It's gonna be a hard work. Um, anything we do in life that's almost worth it is gonna take hard work but with marriage, it's going to be lifelong hard work. Um, it's glorious, but hard. And really something for us to contend with. Um, and then, obviously, the fact that what we'll see next week when we specifically look at Ephesians 5, but marriage is also the representation of jesus coming back for his bride the church and we get to act that out through marriage as well so it's also um living marriage out prophetically in that sense it's not only about the two people in it but also what it represents so we need to seek god's ways go through his word and see what he says about marriage and how it, and how it works the other um, point just that's good to mention is just that marriage is covenant. It's not a legal contract. Um, I won't look at Harry, even though he's a lawyer, but he always sits in front, so I'll do that. But a contract is transactional if you, um, I mean, I don't know, I see you're sitting there as well. You guys would probably be able to correct me, but it's more transactional, contractual, there's right and wrong of what you need to do. Well, covenant um, in God's sense is uh, it's unconditional, speaks about unconditional love and marriage is not a contract. Although there's a legal part to it, for us as Christians, it's a covenant. 
um, and that's what we we enter into. And another loose point that I want to add as well, which we'll dig into next week, is when Ephesians 5, um, one of the more well-known parts, scriptures that speaks to marriage, it speaks to us as Christians, and more than that, as spirit-filled Christians. So it's marriage is in context of us seeking God first and doing it from a spirit-filled place which I think I have a little picture there. Sorry, Yvette, I, didn't, I don't draw my things myself anymore because um, I don't want any church discipline taken against me. But the short of the long of this picture is as husband, so marriage is a covenant between three parties, uh, Jesus Christ, the husband, and the wife. And as the husband and wife seek God first, the triangle will get smaller because um, those two red arrows will get shorter, so the husband and wife will actually get closer to each other. While the further they go from God, the further they will also push from each other. So when we speak about marriage from a biblical sense, it's important to always remember that obviously it's only God that can fill us. Even when we speak about companionship, um, there's not a person that can fill that God void. You were made in the image of God, but let me not run my, before myself. So that's just some basic, call it house rules also, that I just wanted to mention for, for us in terms of going with this. So now if we jump into Genesis, which is the creation narrative, and there's actually... It's interesting because you read Genesis 1 and then it says, it ends with on the sixth day, God created man and woman. And then in Genesis 2, it gives a more detailed account of how God created Adam and Eve. So the first part in Genesis 1, we're going to read through some, speak of that, of the first creation story. And Genesis 2 as the second creation story. Um, but Genesis 2 actually fits into Genesis 1 if that makes sense. So if we read there, Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So that, let us make man in our image, God made us in his image. Um, the Hebrew word for that is the Margot Day, that is the image of God. And that has been imprinted in us. So as a start, I think like some of the words that were shared here, our identity primarily lies in the fact that we were made in the image of God. Nothing else can fill that. Not even marriage, as good and holy as it is, cannot fill the that identity gap that we were made in the image of God. We were made to represent him in creation. We're representatives of God in Christ, all of us, regardless. And our identity is not in our relational status. Your identity doesn't line with the fact whether you're single, um, uh, what's for love? Sorry, my English air time is running out. 
engaged, uh, married, divorced, wherever you, in whatever relational status you find yourself, your identity is not in that. It's in the fact that you were made in the image of God and your primary relationship is with Jesus. Because many times we will start comparing ourselves based on our relational statuses and we would look around and then we will feel insecure but it's not like that would, even if we fix our relational status, that won't fix our identity gap. And that's something we need to work through before or if we're in marriage now, then that's something to prioritize and work through because you're not going to be able to fill that Jesus gap, if you like, with uh, a normal person. So we were made in the image of God to represent him in creation. We were set apart from the animal world. Um, we have mental, moral, social, and spiritual dynamics that the rest of creation might not have. Like mentally, we're creative, we create things. Uh, morally, we can decide between right and wrong. And socially, we obviously have um, amazing relational structures um, like marriage, and then we can spiritually connect with God. And we can see how the enemy wants to attack that from all different angles, um, like mentioned through marriage, um, gender, um, ideologies, sexuality and sex, and family and the roles in it. And just to come back, that we were firstly fearfully and wonderfully made, as Psalm 139 says, and we were made in the image of God. We were made for wholeness. We were made to worship God. And that is good news. Amen? Um, apart from being made in his image, we know the Bible story further on. We were also redeemed. So God first made us, but then he also redeemed us from sin. So we were bought twice or paid for twice in that sense. We move on to Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. A hot topic these days, there's even documentaries asking what is a woman, um, speaking just to con the almost confusion that reigns about, about that. And I mean, um, it's again an attack on the image of, of God. Um, there's a, and, and just the fact that, I mean, there's so many factions from feminism to, I mean, so, so many that from different angles tries to dilute the truth of a, of a word um, in that sense. But obviously we know that through this, and we're going to see it in verse 29, but at the end God made male and female, and he said it was good. And just because I'm afraid I'll forget, but I mean, if you think of it, male and female, and through marriage they become one, it's almost as if God took the best of both and said he's going to, male and female, they both have distinct roles, and it's, it's almost something beautiful that happens when they become one. Um, we did a course a while ago with Andre Webster, um, about sexuality is also a, a, a pastor if you can do it at some stage. 
please do it. But he gives us breakdown of a meaning of um, over of a Hebrew meanings for men and women. And I mean, I'm speaking under correction, but from what I remember, is somewhere they even analyzed or did research on. Um, lesbian communities and gay communities and found that, for instance, in lesbian communities, the inherent, um, what do you call that? Um, characteristics, thanks, Debbie. Um, still presided strongly within those communities, even though on a top level one would think they almost, um, English is failing me this morning. They distance themselves from it. But we see there, for a man, um, inherent um, characteristics. He remembers, moves to create significance, penetrating, life-changing, lifts, carries, moves things forward. So we see this proactive urge to change things, to continually improve, take things next level. On the... Um, women's characteristics is punctured through, bored through, receives, accepts, nurtures, sustains, nourishes, and those are inherent characteristics um, as part of uh, male and female and just how God created us that in, we can celebrate and we see it in workplaces, the dynamics that, for instance, women bring to um, a team versus men and, and all that. So, and just that those differences are crucial. If any of that is lacking, then the whole, the collective um, would be lacking. And just how important it is not to, where the world wants to say there's no difference between male and female, um, again, it's a part of God's inherent design that it's trying to attack. Then if we go to the next verse in Genesis 1.28, we see that, and God say, blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves. And what was quite um, eye-opening for me from just first verse is the fact that the almost original instruction and if you want to call it purpose of man, a big part of it um, relates uh, can is to, to happen only in marriage. Obviously be fruitful and multiply um, speaks to having sex in marriage, enjoying it as part of God's instruction and it's specifically to happen within the construct of marriage and also, there we see that together, or as humankind, we then get to steward um, the earth. And then, if we go to the next verse in Genesis 1, verse 31, we see that God says, and, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, what's interesting is, this is the sixth day. God obviously created on each day, created something, and after it, he said it was good. Well, when he created humans, he stopped and he said it was very good. With the other um, days, he just said it was good. But when he created humans, both male and female, he stopped and said this was very good. I think God felt like satisfaction 
in a sense of the creating that. If you think, if you've done something that you feel, wow, this is worthwhile, this is amazing, and you just sit back and you look at it and you feel, wow, this is very good. And when God created us in his image, he didn't go, oh, I wonder how long this will last before it all unravels or something. No, he looked at it and he said it was very good. He looked at us in creating us and he said inherently, you are very good in how I created you. You were created in the image of God. Um, and like I said, there was no pessimism from God in that sense of creating it and thinking, well, is this really good or not? It's inherently good. And that is an encouragement for us when our experience of marriage, relationships, all these different areas and different dynamics to know that God inherently created it good. Whether we experience it in that sense or can identify with it or struggle through some of the dynamics of it, God inherently made it very good. And there's, uh, like that scripture says in Proverbs, Debbie, you know it well, what the king, um, what's that? Yes, that one. So the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek it out. And there's almost that dynamic that God created marriage and us as humans in very good. And there's that glory for us to seek that out. Whether that's our experience or not, that, that still remains the truth. And then we move on to Genesis 2 verse 18. Now this is where it gets a little bit more detailed. We did the first creation story. Now it moves into what some call the second creation story. And there we see that it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now for some, this might seem derogatory. Um, looking at, at that which we've seen now that that's not the case. And it's also interesting that God didn't say that he made, um, or he, he made um, Adam a, a, a helper or someone just as a childbearer. She is valued as a person herself. Um, so she, nothing is said at that stage of her being a childbearer. So that's not the primary goal of marriage is not only childbearing or of a woman being created. Also interesting to note that this is the first time God says that something in his creation is not good. That's interesting. Everything was good. This was obviously before he said it was very good if we think about it in that way. But at that time he looked at Adam and he said he should not be alone and God says this is not good. Um, and how could that not be? I mean, Adam was a sinless man in a perfect fellowship with God, in perfect environment. What more could he want? Obviously, the missing part was the women. And we see how God, if we think back, God made man and women in his image. But the women was the missing part. Uh, or there was a missing part to the puzzle, almost uh, incompleteness. And that's within the context, obviously, of our identity being in Christ and only God can fill, fill us. It's not that 
our spouse fills us in that sense, but we do see that God said um, Adam was alone at that stage, and it was was not good. Um, and then, I mean, some guys write and say, but why would, I mean, God is God. He can, why didn't he just from the start create Adam and Eve without creating Adam and having him hang for a little bit? And uh, what some say is, I mean, because just the verse after that, Adam starts naming all the creatures and he could not find a helper fit for him. So he maybe went through from a artwork to zebra and uh, going through them he maybe saw male and female but he couldn't find a helper fit for him and maybe that created a longing inside of him for that missing piece so that he can really appreciate it once he got it I mean that's just um, it's not doctrine but it is interesting that God didn't create Eve immediately then if we go on to Genesis 2, verse 21 to 23. So God seeing that this is said, this is not good. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So maybe just there. So she was taken from Adam's rib and there's something that I read says that he was, she was not taken from Adam's head to rule over him, not from his feet that he should put her down, but she was taken from his side so that he would protect her and keep her close to his heart. And yeah, I mean, Adam was made of dust, wouldn't say dirt, but hey, it is dirt. Um, but Eve was made from Adam's rib and I mean, yeah, it's interesting if you, if you read that. So God first made Adam feel the need for a wife. He endured the loneliness. And then we read there that God had taken, had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And what one commentary noticed is that that was like the first wedding ceremony in a sense. Um, the only thing is she wasn't wearing a wedding dress. She was naked. So Adam might have been quite surprised. And we see that in the second part of the verse. He may exclaiming, This is at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So it's this expressive joy of astonishment. He we saw that it was not good. He was alone and just with joy, joyous exclamation from his side. But now he has found the helper. And then if we go to Genesis, um, sorry, it's 2.24 to 25. We see it starts, therefore. So this was written by Moses um, because Adam didn't have a mother and father at that stage which he could separate from. So this was Moses writing afterwards, given everything written, what it all comes down to. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there's three parts that we're going to break that up into. It's a man shall leave his father and mother. It's leaving, hold fast to his wife, cleaving, and then become one flesh. So a man shall leave his father and his mother. Speaks to the fact that marriage is there's a primary is this must be a primary relationship. You leave your father and your mother. Adam was not given a father or a mother by God. If God thought that was the most important thing, he would have done so. Um, but he was given a wife. So that's a primary relationship. And you have to cut ties when moving into marriage. You cut ties um, from a dependence point of view from your parents, from financial and emotional um, perspective. You still honor them, obviously, and there's still relationship, but that's not the primary relationship you connect with. And the same is for children, um, which is sometimes more of a case where it becomes the primary relationship in a marriage almost becomes the, the children. Um, and that can sometimes have the effect that then the wife focuses on raises, raising the children and then the husband focuses on um, working and bringing on in income. But when the children leave the house, then um, it, it can put pressure on the relationship. So the primary relationship is with um, the spouse. And children is to be raised in a way so that they can be sent, not to be dependent on the parents. So from day one, little Ariane is learning. Um, Fred and Almery will teach him to become, um, to, to be sent in the end of the day, whether that's now 20 years from now or whatever the age, to be sent out and not still to be reliant on them. And for many of us, sometimes that's something also just to, um, think about is to what extent you are still reliant on your, your parents. Were you raised to be sent out and to, to live independently from them? Um, and then if we move to the second part, holding fast to his wife, um, the cleaving part, they speak of that holding fast as skin is to a bone. It's, um, and marriage is a, therefore a permanent relationship. It's not a short-term relationship. Obviously, these days, the idea that something is for life um, doesn't sit well with a, with a general feel out there, but it's important for us to know that it's a lifetime commitment. Children is for a season, but marriage is for a lifetime. And... Um, it's based on covenant. It's not based on um, romantic feelings at the stage that can come and go, but it's an unconditional covenant and not a contract, and it's not based on the other's actions. So holding fast in that sense um, speaks to that. It's a, that it's a permanent relationship. Matthew 19, Jesus said, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. The other dynamic that, that speaks to is that it's an exclusive relationship. One wife, I mean, for us, I think that's maybe a standard thing, but one wife, because otherwise, again, if God thought that Adam needed more than one wife, he would have 
made him two wives or three wives or whatever be the case. So although we see in the Old Testament um, polygamy, polygamy, yeah, sorry for the pronunciation, but polygamy, um, that wasn't because of God's approval. Um, that was more a cultural thing at that stage. So it's an exclusive relationship, and as we, when we do weddings, we say, forsaking all to be faithful to your spouse as long as the both of you shall live. So that means giving up any close emotional relationships with the same um, sex as your spouse because it's going to be a primary relationship with your husband and wife, but also giving up the right just to, if you're a guy, just go hang with the guys all the time because it's a primary relationship. Obviously, there's a healthy sense of community, of slotting into community, but again, your wife or your husband becomes that primary relationship. And if the idea of that is too much for you, then maybe there's a place of needing to mature more before you enter into marriage. Um, then if we go to the last part that speaks to becoming one flesh, so one flesh um, emphasizes obviously sexual union, but it's more than physical. It's the emotional and relational part to it. It's the taking up the whole person. Um, there's a permanency about it. Because, I mean, as the Bible teaches, when we have sex with someone, we become one flesh with them. I think Paul speaks about saying that if you sleep with a prostitute, you become one with her flesh. So there's, and I know we've been doing it in the Conqueror series, speaking about um, the amazing process of where sex is a binding um, activity, if you want to put it that way. Um, but it's in the world, many times people would want to have let's say, casual sex with someone, but not become one with them, not have a liability of having the whole person become one with them. Um, you keep your issues for yourself. I just want to, again, gratify myself or, or something like that. And it's important for us to see that, that one flesh speaks of becoming one with the whole person um, through that. And we see that failure in, rela in relationship can also cause sexual problems within marriage. So it's that emotional, relational side that needs to be tended to within marriage. It's not just the physical act. And then just uh, um, 10 cents for, for those who aren't married. Obviously, you don't play with fire outside of a fireplace. In the same way, marriage was made within the context, sex was made to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. Sex is amazing in marriage. It has, can have destructive effects outside of marriage. You won't play with fire um, in your pocket or something in the same way as sex has its place in marriage. It should be celebrated. It's not sin within marriage, um, but outside of marriage it can have um, destructive um, effects. So that is... And then we also just, in summing up, see that um, both of them were naked and ashamed. And that just also speaks to the vulnerability um, that's cultivated within marriage and, and through sex within marriage. So I think 
that's about it that I wanted us just to, to journey through. And I want to close with, we all obviously have past experiences and disappointments or expectations, but that we just bring that to God and compare it with what the word says, what the truth is, and walk according to that so that we can grow in holiness in that sense. So with that, maybe we can, um, Harry, you can talk a little bit and uh, you can switch the lights if someone can eat the lights there. Just want us to, I mean, for many of us, this might have brought up previous pain, previous experiences or something. I just want us to almost align ourselves with God and just if there's offense of, because of any of the topics, I mean, the Holy Spirit might have highlighted hardness in your heart. But what would be said is if we have a bad experience or have seen marriage in some way of the idea of it in a bad light and once God gives it to us, our heart is so hardened that we're unable to really enjoy it at that moment. And the same is, is for those that are in marriage. So just want us to, as we worship now, if there's anything you want to pray or confess with someone about just to feel um, past hurt or something that you just want to bring in, not only bring in the light, but just bring to God in that sense. I just want to open the floor for that as we just going to worship um, let's worship a song and if anyone wants to come forward for prayer in any of those areas the elders would be here to pray our father